This episode is brought to you by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps businesses in complex markets win the future. Hello, Unicorners. Oh my God, have we got a treat for you today. We have got the amazing uh, Peter Richards from Protolabs, who we met at the B2B Marketing Awards just after they had scooped the prize for thought leadership. Now, if you are interested in the concepts like thought leadership, if you are interested in how business-to-business organizations can make use of pay-per-click advertising, do not go away. I am Dom Horse. And I'm Samantha Lucy. And we are the co-hosts of this Unicorny. Unicorns. They're supposed to be rare, but they seem to be everywhere. Now, like you, I suspect, I devour business and marketing books. But if you've noticed, more and more of them use the same reference material and they retrofit the strategies and tactics they're espousing to unicorns. Well, you know what? I'm bored of reading about unicorns. So what if Amazon thinks back to front? Why is it relevant to me that Steve Jobs started with why? Google, Facebook, Netflix, those guys, you know, it's not where I live professionally, and it doesn't inform my future. So I thought, why don't I do something about it? Why not create a body of reference material that ordinary marketers like me can contribute to and learn from. And that is Unicorny. Now, Samantha, you come from uh, Unity. Mm. Tell me a little bit about your agency. So we are a communications consultancy um, and we, I think, really specialise when it comes to insight and strategy and getting under the skin of an audience. And what we love to do, because I'm a nerd at heart but no one believes it, is take all the data we can find, layer that with behavioural science and really pull together insights that unlock briefs. And we get to do that for a lot of really exciting clients that are not always the sexiest brands, but we get to do the sexiest stuff because we get the best audience insights cool well today we have a guest who if you don't know about it might it might look like an unsexy business a hundred percent but then when i hear about that data to me that suddenly says sexy Uh, but also you know rapid prototyping 3d printing i think it's pretty sexy let's go see what peter's got to say sounds good um, hello, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Tom. A good start to today's podcast might be for you to give us a little bit of an introduction to Proto Labs, because although it's a very large company, yeah. many of our listeners may not have heard of you. Yeah, sure. So we're, um, in simple terms, a digital manufacturer. So we make component parts uh, that go into all parts of the supply chain. The unique element of what we can do is, um, with our technology, we can actually get a part um, into the production supply chain as fast as a day. So um, we use three different technologies. Um, So one's injection moulding. So that's what you'll see inside your car. So your dashboard will be injection moulded. CNC machining, so that's basically cutting away and using uh, predominantly metal in terms of cutting away uh, and looking at uh, parts that are produced in that way. And then the final one, which most people would have heard on, is 3D printing or additive manufacturing. Um, And that's the sexy, um, basically, technology as well that we're involved in. Um, We've got manufacturing facilities. Uh, eight manufacturing facilities across the globe. Our route to market is e-commerce, so we sell through the web. Uh, and basically the way that we operate is if somebody's got a design drawing for their part that they want, they come onto our website, they upload that design drawing, and basically we will give them a price back um, basically in a couple of hours. If they're happy with that quote, they can order it. And as I mentioned earlier, we can then produce it and ship it in as fast as a day. So that the whole basis of where we were founded from was our founder, a guy called Larry Lucas, who set the organisation up in the States 
uh, just over 20 years ago now, um, was involved in prototyping um, and was frustrated with the design cycle that you go through in terms of producing uh, parts to, to prototype. Um, so he wrote some very clever code uh, that then enables us to actually you know, drive that manufacturing process and enables us to get parts out you know, in, a, in a very rapid time scale. So the essence of our brand promise is manufacturing accelerated uh, and we support organisations that range from Formula One all the way through to medical consumer electronics, um, even into organisations such as SpaceX as well. So a very broad uh, range of organisations that we support. And, and how many people work work for Protolabs? So we've, we've got, um, globally, we've got just over 2,500 people. Um, obviously, our processes in terms of the way that we operate is... Um, it's, it's automated through the manufacturing process. So actually, um, our factories aren't awash with people, as you would have seen. Well, I'm giving an analogy here of going back to Victorian days. But you, so we, it's, it's very heavily automated. And really what we've got is a digital thread that goes all the way through from uh, basically the customer's inquiry that comes in through the web all the way through to physical delivery of the part. And in a lot of cases, we can do that with zero touch. Okay, and you, I mean, so 25 years in existence and you've scaled from literally a garage yes. to two and a half thousand people. Yeah. How important has marketing been on that journey for your organisation? Uh, huge, uh, really. Um, and for me, you know, I've been in B2B marketing now, um, you know, nearly 25 years, um, you know, myself in terms of, you know, roles that I've been involved with. Um, this is the first role that I've had where I'm second on the agenda in the boardroom. Um, so it goes finance and then it goes marketing. Okay. Um, so from that point of view, you know, it's critically important because it's seen as demand for the business. You know, there, there is a, uh, a reflection that you know, our founder had, you know, which was uh, when he set the organisation up, he put a little bit of money towards Yahoo, um, as it was in the day, um, in terms of Yahoo advertising uh, to try and generate demand. That worked. And then it, it's grown from there. So um, PPC for us still is a um, you know, key route to market. It's a challenging route to market for us because our competitive landscape's changed as well. So whilst we were founded 25 years ago and we had a real USP in terms of that speed, and we still do, we've got a competitive environment that's shifted as well. So we've got other manufacturers that are coming um, into the same space as us um, that are reducing their manufacturing timescales as well. Um, so that makes our, our brand promise even more important that we've got to deliver on that as well. And also how we can educate the market from an online point of view and get that message out there is, is critically important. So that whole point about marketing and top of the funnel um, is massively important for the business. Uh, we're an organisation that loves data and we've got a lot of data. It enables us to actually manage each level of the funnel. So I can see you know, where I am with my sessions, what they're doing to converting into an engaged um, you know, inquiry, you're coming into the website all the way through then that converting to a prospect, then also to a quote, and then to uh, a customer. And I can look at all the conversion rates uh, at each stage of that process. Okay, so I think we're going to dig into kind of the performance marketing aspect of how you guys do things a little bit later. Um, but I think a really good place to start might be at the beginning of your journey yep. with uh, Proto Labs. Um, and at this stage, my co-host, Samantha, I'm going to hand over to you because you know a lot more about this than me. But I was fascinated when we were talking about setting today up, that when you joined the organization, the marketing was very much product led and you had a different idea than that. Yeah, I think you know, I came into the business um, you know, just over three years ago now, um, where you know, it was you know, twofold, really. We'd got a team that had been... Um, to a degree unmanaged, uh, because my predecessor had, had been out of the business for over 12 months. 
So it was then coming back into the business and you know, looking at, you know, the first thing is, you know, and my, my team will hear me out on this, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result because I think that's clinically, clinically insane um, if, you, if you, you, you take that approach. So we had to do something different in terms of engagement. And what was it that you were doing at that time that you had to shift? What was the thing that was, was kind of going to unlock it? What was the th- same thing that we're trying to get the same results out of that you came into? I, I think it was more from the point of view of, um, well, we manufacture parts really quickly. <laughs> Come and buy some. In, yeah. in its simplest sense. Yeah. Um, and when your product doesn't change... What else do you say? Absolutely. Um, so how do you then get the narrative to go to a different level and also get a different level of engagement um, with a different set of customers mm-hmm. is also the challenge. And did you rock up and decide, I need to take a really good look around me, I need to understand like who are these audiences? Because it's so disparate, isn't it? You've got this kind of real broad spectrum of sectors. Yeah. Was that was there a kind of first, first let me have a look around me, first 100 days kind of feel to it? Or were you straight into let's just change things, we can't keep doing the same thing, what's going to make a difference, what's going to move the dial? Uh, yeah, I think on your, on your point, Samantha, you, you know, I think in any role that you go into, you, you can't go in a, with the bull in a china shop syndrome. Um, so there was a, a period of reflection, seeing what we were doing. We were doing some good things. Uh, we were doing some things that we could do better. Uh, and we weren't doing some things. So it was then looking at it in terms of those categories uh, and, bu- and building on what we were doing well, but then also what we weren't doing and what we were missing and what we could amplify. We'd also done some work which was starting to look at um, sectors for us that converted quickest. So we'd also done some further analysis and, you know, in, in fairness, I walked into this where there was you know, work that had been done, which was looking at the conversion rates for key sectors. Um, so we knew that um, automotive was important for us because you know, it converted quickly. Um, and also we could see, you know, aerospace, you know, again being a you know, potential um, market for us as well to further develop um, both sectors are innovation led as well because you know that they need to keep moving you know, uh, forward themselves so we then did some further work to go right okay how do we get deeper into those sectors and that's really where we spawned the thought leadership uh, approach right. which was um, how we start to get a broader narrative into those sectors at a wider and higher level as opposed to we manufacture parts really quickly, okay. which we do, and we do it really well. So you've got all these different pieces that you've kind of assembled together. You understand the, the sectors that you've got the fastest kind of entrance into, and you've looked at some things that you do well and some things that you're missing. And that kind of, how did you piece all those bits together to then get to, okay, it's thought leadership and it's going to look like this? Um, I think the first thing that we did was, um, well, what space do we want to try and occupy? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first instance, a lot of that was around innovation because that's at the core of what we do. We can own that space because we're involved in that innovation process and that product design process. Yeah. So that was the first thing where we sort of like, you know, came around that theme, so to speak. And it was then saying, right, okay, what's missing in the marketplace from an innovation discussion point um, within those sectors that we could, and I think your words, we could own yeah. uh, and try and develop from that point of view. And then also looking at our client base and going, right, okay, what are they involved with from a discussion point? How could we start a narrative that could actually start to angle us into that audience as well? Yeah, that's really interesting because, as I said, as you said, you've got these really disparate sectors, right? So you've got, in a way, a sort of profession-specific audience, but that reaches across lots of verticals? Or is it actually that there are really like a very, would your audience mapping just scare the shit out of most people? (laughs) Um, 
in the main, it's design engineers. So, right. it, so if I look at it from from a um, a common thread a, 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 into into who we're targeting, it is those design engineers. Yes, it spans into procurement. Yes, it spans into innovation teams. Our favourite people. We love procurement. Well, they're, they're there for a reason. Uh, I understand. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, it, it also spans into um, looking at R and D teams as yeah. well. Yeah, coming back to your um, your does it scare the shit out of people in terms of um, you the positioning? I don't believe it does because I think any organisation's got quite a broad map of stakeholders that they'd engage with. The difference that we've got is that we can go from a transactional sale of say five hundred pound all the way through to a transactional sale of say quarter of a million. Crazy. So you've got we've got a ve- so. It, the added complexity mm-hmm. is then you, I've got a volume of business that is coming through yeah. that are small transactions that I actually need to get zero touch on. Um, and then I've got a, I've got a high touch element, which are the key accounts, which are critically important to us, but the volume isn't as, as strong and they take longer to develop. But I've got to be doing both at the same time. Of course. And, and what has your approach to that been? Have you taken with those kind of key accounts more of an ABM approach or has it been very much that sort of brand always on slow burn next to a really kind of targeted set of sales proposals and the way that you come after that audience? How, how do you balance out the immediate with the longer term in that respect? Really good question because um, the other added challenge that we've got is at an ABM level in previous lives where I've done ABM, you're strategically important to the customer and the value of your sale gets you up there in, 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 yeah. in the customer. Yeah. Um, the challenge that we've got is that in the you know, in a lot of cases with some of our clients, we are important to them but our, their level of spend with us doesn't raise our profile in the organisation. Right, got it. So you've got that that element of complexity to it. So if, if say, for example, we went to the head of R&D at uh, a, another um, automotive manufacturer and said, this is what we do, it is more than likely he would go, you're fantastic, understand what you do, right, okay, you need to speak to this person. Yeah. He wouldn't necessarily have an active engagement with us. Understood, okay. Um, so I think there's there's that challenge in terms of um, how we then run things from a parallel point of view with ABM, um, but from an ABM perspective, we've been it's it's been something which we've been developing. Mm-hmm. It's starting to work. Mm-hmm. What we're also starting to do is we've done a lot of work in terms of educating the client base. Interesting. Because the the other point that we then get to is we have a quoting platform, um, yeah. and if you know, design engineer A in you know, in Aston Martin um, uses us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that design engineer B does. Right. So how you then get the internal cross-sell within the business. So we do a lot of education to our clients to go, this is the benefit that we can bring you. And we try and get that community together in, in those organisations as well to raise the profile. And what does that look like for you? Is that a lot of sort of really tight CRM management? Do you do round tables and thought leadership internally? How do, how do you best kind of network inside a business that you're already connected to? Um, I think it's a um, combination of things really, you know, Within today's environment, we've been running a lot of webinars yeah. uh, with clients and getting, yeah, and actually it's a very effective way of getting mm. yeah, about 20 people all together on a call for an hour. And if you're doing communication with a purpose, it works. And it works really well because you can educate them from that point of view. The other thing that we've, we've then done is started to create bespoke material, which is focused in terms of 
um, almost like a manufacturing guide, how we support them on, the, on that basis and, and that journey. Um, and that's tailored down at the account level as well. Um, and then in, you know, as we move back into face-to-face uh, engagements, we are now doing more face-to-face engagements as well. That's starting to come back on um, online for us. We also bring clients into our facilities because actually seeing the power of the manufacturing actually operating and going, right, okay, there's your, there's your design drawing and there's your part. Really impactful. Um, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes a huge point. Um, and, you know, we, we're starting to you know, further you know, evolve and develop video assets mm-hmm. as well to try and you know, further illustrate that and get deeper from that point of view. But, but the, yeah, the biggest challenge is how you get somebody's attention and engagement. Which is always the challenge, isn't it? It's the absolute challenge. And then where does that sit for you in terms of trying to meter out between brand and engagement? And how does brand factor in in your kind of, you say you're number two on the boardroom agenda, which is exciting but terrifying. How does brand play into that? Yeah, really good question. Because the challenge that we've got is um, we're a heavily driven commercial organisation, which is great. Um, you're from, um, it keeps you focused, you know what you need to deliver. Um, but then in parallel, what you can then start to lose sight of is that um, you haven't done any brand building. Yeah. Because you're so myopically focused Head on... down sales funnel. Right, okay, where are we with leads this week? Where are we with mm-hmm. quotes this week? What's that converted to? And that's a conversation which most probably happens twice a week. You know, wow. With, you know, board members, you know, yeah. from, from that point of view. And then, so it's very easy to turn around and go, oh, we've got a brand and we've not developed it, we've not pushed it out further. Yes. So part of the point and actually coming back to some of the sector approach and ABM focus was to go, right, how could we build a campaign that builds the brand, gets us exposure, mm-hmm. but can also be used for demand generation? Silver bullet. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was also where we wanted to get to because it was a shift for the business and um, when we launched the first programme you know, from a, a series point of view you know, it, which we targeted at the automotive sector it was a leap of faith for the business Interesting because we'd not done anything like that before as an organisation Was it hard to get that leap of faith because I think there are so many marketeers who sit in the, that, those difficult conversations where they've got sales versus brand and they're, they're wanting to invest in brand and a lot of you know a lot of our clients do the same thing where they're very kind of focused on the sales funnel and that leap of faith is, is hard how did you get take the organisation with you? Um, I think on a couple of levels really one it's um, that open communication and going back to that principle that we that we stated earlier you know if we want to change in results we've got to do some different things mm-hmm. and um, there is a risk to it but it's a calculated risk yeah. so you're not betting you know the whole of the organization on what one you know strategy and principle from that point of view so i think there's that point second point is and i know it's cliched but it's communication mm-hmm. and it's engagement with, you, with your own organization engagement with sales um, and we had a lot of conversations with sales to try and um, educate them about like this is different. Um, this is going to be a different approach. These are going to be the key messages that we're going to be putting out to the market and how we get that alignment. Um, and if you know, so if I reflect back you know, from um, where we are now to where we were when we, we launched the approach, um, if I look at the response that we got from the organisation when we launched it, which was, yeah, okay, we'll we'll go with you. 
Okay, begrudgingly, but yeah, they went we'll, with you. We'll go with you. You're, yeah. the, you're the new boy. You've come in. You can mess up. We don't mind. Exactly. You know, um, <laughs> it's your P45 sort of you know, scenario. Well, I love it. I'm going to use that. Whereas now, and I was on a call this week, which is which was with sales and marketing uh, on the same call, and I'd got the sales team unprompted talking about how they were completely aligned with marketing, taking the marketing assets, aligning from that point of view, looking at the campaigns, getting a complete understanding from that point of view. So that's night and day from where we were. It must have been a proud moment for you, actually, to sort of, you must have gone, okay, we did something right here. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you take, you know, you you take the... um, the small comments. The the other you know important thing for me is you know you feed that back into the team, um, yeah. so the team needs to recognise that. Um, and any organisation's got a short memory. Um, Very short. And I think you know it's also being able to take that point in time to reflect and go right. Okay, this is what we've done well, um, and how do we build build from that you know, uh, you know from that perspective. Um, and then the other thing is you know that, that we continually look at is how we drive more innovation into the business. Mm. Um, how we continue to do different things, how we get people to learn um, so that they can actually lift their heads up from you know their day job and get outside of the building and try and learn a bit more to what's going on in the industry as well from that side of things. So I, I just want to wind back a little bit because the, the overriding theme is what you won your award for, mm-hmm. which is thought leadership. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So an B2B marketing award is no small award, yeah. right? So congratulations, first Thank you. off, because uh, I think that's where we met. Um, when you came to the organisation, we've been talking slightly around it, but we haven't actually nailed this. How did you persuade your colleagues that thought leadership, which must have been very alien to the kind of product-based approach, marketing, how did you, how did you persuade them that thought leadership was the right way forward? Two levels, really. First of all, I'd done it before, and I'd got success from it before. So I was able to illustrate success um, from where I'd been previously. Um, and secondly, Dom, I think it does go back to that point of, right, okay, what's the alternative? You know, if we want to build a presence in these sectors that we know converts quicker for us, um, how do we get more engaged in those sectors? Um, so you you play back to the strategy. Okay. So that, that was the other key thing that we, we you know, say learned but it's more from a adaptation point of view which is right you understand your organization strategy you understand the business strategy and you therefore build your program which is directly aligned to that and i'm not saying it's then a, a shoe-in and you, you you're going to get agreement but it's harder then for any dissent because you can go right this is what we've set out as the strategy this is what we believe is right this is what the stats tell us so therefore we're going to build a program that completely underpins that as well as driving demand generation um, and that was the other thing that, compared to previous lives, a lot of my thought leadership has all been about brand positioning and you know, brand awareness. With with Protolabs and the commercial drive that we've got and the growth drive that we've got as an organisation, it was that parallel running that we okay. uh, we had to do. So I think that was the the element in terms of that sell back into the, the organisation from that perspective. So a lot of people listening to this are going to be marketers in organisations that haven't yet scaled to the degree that you have, but they may be just as commercially driven. So if you're going to give them one takeaway, would it be that if you want to change engines mid-flight, only change one at a time? Introducing thought leadership when you're not actually dismantling the existing marketing programme. Yeah. I can see then you have, it, you're morphing things, right? It's not, it's, a, it's an evolution, not yeah, a revolution. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, you know, and again, coming back to that early, earlier comment about how we're, we're targeted and measured. If, for example, I go 
four weeks without any prospect generation because I'm doing fantastic brand awareness and thought leadership. Um, that four weeks has become a trend um, in our business, okay. which is, and we're then bombing. Um, so how do you then you know, turn that back around? So you've got to do um, that parallel, you know, um, yeah, activity from that point of view. Um, and you've got to be able to also, um, in an organisation that is heavily driven by the numbers, and I know every organisation is, but from a marketing point of view, you know, I could go the other way with my finance director, which is, well, you get so much return, for your Rojas on PPC is four to one. So why are you putting money into brand activity? Because your Rojas coming, there's no Rojas in that, in terms of yeah. your, what you're doing. So just put it into PPC. And there are plenty of organisations that do exactly that, yeah. by the way. And yeah. in short term, they do well. Yeah, yeah. And long term, they decline. Because, yeah. of course, they don't have a brand. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, what the, the added complexity that's... Um, and you know, going back to that brand positioning piece, if I wind the clock back five years, when I looked at the data, we had an impression share of about eighty percent um, on all of our you know, um, you know um, external positioning from a you know, a your paid point of view. If I look at it now, it's reduced because the competitive landscape's changed. So because that competitive landscape's changed. I've then got to do more work to try and build that brand profile and get the education out there. And it really is a balance. You know, at, at the moment, you know, when I came into the organisation, it was most probably 90-10. 90 90% demand generation, 10% okay. on brand. We're you know, at a stage now where we're moving towards you know, most probably 39% brand or just pure brand um, work. Um, with the you know, remainder, my maths has suddenly gone out of my head. So 40, 60, that's, yeah, that's 40, pretty 60. good. Um, in wow. terms of yeah, that position, that's where we're trying to get to. Um, because the, the added complexity that we've got is um, you, you can't just keep um, thinking that we, you're going to grow continually without any evolution and with no, without having product enhancements. So it's not as if we're changing the way that we mm. produce things dramatically. Yes, we'll get more materials we can use to produce things with. Yes, we'll get a few more technologies we can do in 3D printing um, that we can um, use from a development point of view. But fundamentally, the offer's the same. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com. You guys have obviously had tremendous success in terms of kind of PPC and how it's evolved for you and starting out with Yahoo yep. and then moving to now. What do you think about the future of that? Because it kind of becomes a black hole, doesn't it, into which you just have to keep throwing more money to get the same results? Yeah, um, it's heartburn. I'd <laughs> describe it as. Um, because when you look at the, yeah, the amounts of money that you're paying, yeah. um, and we're in a really competitive marketplace, um, so from that point of view, you continually question, how can we get more out of this? Um, so there's that point. The other point is then, you know, how you further build up your SEO strategy to supplement your, your PPC as well from that point of view. Um, also then, you know, beauty of Google, they change something in the algorithm and it's not performing as it was. 
So you then go back to your online team and you're having the conversation and it's kind of, well, that's how it is. Um, so it's it's something we continually review. Yeah. We've got guys that are continually working on it. Um, and it, it, it is challenging. It's really challenging you know, from, from that point of view. But, and I think we, we are starting to get to this viewpoint of where do we see diminishing returns? Mm. Um, and... You know, it, it, it's at that level now where we're trying to do that analysis to go, right, actually, we're throwing money at this, but we're not seeing the, the true return. We've done, you know, as I you know, mentioned earlier, you, we've done some you know, fairly in-depth modelling now on our you know, return on advertising spend, and we can see the countries now where it doesn't perform that well for us, where we're seeing your know, return okay. of, say, below, um, you know, if it, yeah, obviously below one, it doesn't make sense, but we've got countries that are performing in that level. Okay, um, That's so interesting. But then... You then flick it and you look at it monthly. So you look at that annually and you go, oh, it's crap. Um, you then look at it monthly and go, well, hang on, they had a 10 to 1 return in December. Why was that? And yeah. so you're then trying to go through that approach as well. The problem, I mean, I, I can't mention numbers because obviously they're sensitive, but you have enormous, for B2B, a B2B organisation, I think you have an enormous Google budget. And the, the problem with the complexity of that is is the more granularly you go, the more confusing the results get, Correct. in my experience, as you say, because annually something doesn't make sense, monthly it might make sense. But then if you start looking at your uh, your ad distribution on, you know, the, the highly targeted words into the long tail, you know, at what stage do you stop analysing, I guess? It's, it's really hard. And I think a lot of B2B organisations partly don't bother because it's just too hard. Yeah, and I think you know we, we've been at you know stages in meetings where, um, you know we've had tense meetings with my online team, which is you're giving me information, I'm not getting any insight from this. Yeah, you know, tell me something. Yeah. Go ask the so what. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know we then go through attribution modelling, and you know we, we look at that, and then because that evolves retrospectively monthly, so you look at you know you look at it one week, and that. Chark then gets shared out uh, within the organisation. Everybody has a naked panic running down the corridors going, you know, performance is really bad. <laughs> and then you then come back a week later and the attribution's changed because that's the way yeah. it's yeah. done with in GA. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you use any tools to help you manage your the whole AdWords programme? Because I know there are some pretty smart kind of, I won't call them middleware, but the kind of intermediary technologies that use a bit of AI to try and help you optimise and not not at the moment. Yeah, you know, we've got you know, um, we've got a team of really talented individuals in that space. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the moment, so we're putting more into the the people resource okay. than say the automated resource in 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 that element. Really, Dom. That's really interesting. I I love that as I always advocate human over AI in certain degrees. Is that because you find that that's the best way to kind of connect and make those human components make sense on top of the data? Because I think often data in isolation is just a number as opposed to a context yeah. and a set of things. And I think human human beings are often very good at interpreting that data so that you have relativity. Yes, I think, yeah, that's a fair point, Samantha, in terms of, you know, we want to try and understand what's happening. Yes, Google will make recommendations on, you know, your different elements, which we do yeah. you know, obviously take on board as well. But I think it's um, having the team there to actually try and analyse the results as opposed to us looking to put another software layer in, um, you know, we are open to technology as a business. You know, we do a lot of test and learn um, with other software platforms, um, but we've been burnt by that as well. You know, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of the software doesn't necessarily... Well, we're gonna, I think we're going to come on to that absolutely next. But before we go, let's get some takeaways for listeners on pay-per-click. Yep. 
So I'm a B2B organization. This yep. is really generic, but I'm going to put you on the point, on the, on the spot. Should I or should I not be using Google AdWords? Should you or should you not be using Google AdWords? It depends upon your audience, I think is the key thing. Okay. You need to really understand your audience and how they're um, accessing your service. Um, the difference that we have with our service offering is there's an instant gratification, if I use that, that terminology, which is they'll click on the ad and if they've got a design, a CAD design, they'll go to get a quote. And so you can go, you, you've got that instant channel. If you've got some, if you're in an organisation, and if I take some of my previous you know, roles where I've been in consulting, doing PPC for consulting doesn't necessarily make sense because you actually you are trying to do more about the the depth of the organisation, the quality of the advice that's given, and you're leveraging that through advice that you're giving as well from a thought leadership point of view. So I think it's... Um, I don't want to skirt the question uh, and be a politician in my answer, um, but it is dependent upon your audience. Okay. And do you believe that businesses that run a PPC campaign get an SEO lift? Do you know, I don't know. Um, we do a lot of work on SEO um, as well. So we monitor keywords on a monthly basis to make sure that they're performing well. The added complexity we've got is I've got nine languages. Ooh. So I've got to do that in nine languages as well. Um and, you know, my pidgin German and pidgin French, um, <laughs> yeah, it, that makes it difficult. And yeah. it makes it difficult for the team because my digital team is based in the UK. I've got regional marketeers that are then inputting on that basis. So does PPC give an SEO lift? I don't know. But we, we also, um, you can't do PPC without SEO. Great answer. Okay. So I'm going to take this away as a summary from this little section of the podcast is if you are B2B and you are in a sales process that isn't too complicated or deep, PPC might be a good place to look. Correct. But there's no point in doing it unless you already do SEO. Correct. Brilliant. Right. Let's move on to talk about the future. Um, because we discussed when we were talking about doing this podcast, AI and the use of technology in the, in the sales pipeline and the sales channel. And I believe you guys did a lot of testing with kind of demand-based technology and trying to use intent-based yep. data to predict act, sort of actions and activity from your customer bases. What, what was your experience with that? Yeah, I think the, the sales pitch is great. I'll um, <laughs> you know, put that one across first. Um, and I think those technologies work if you've got a single buyer in an organisation. Where, if you take our business, I've got, say, multiple design engineers in um, uh, an automotive uh, business. So knowing that somebody from Aston Martin has searched for prototyping and their journey before they got there, um, before they put that keyword in, with the intent-based marketing, I can't get it down to the individual level. So I've, I've therefore, you know, so I can't then alter my engagement strategy because all I know is the blob. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't use that because I have a client. <laughs> the blob of the organisation. The beautiful is, blob. It is searching for, you know, these, it is in these search terms. It doesn't help me. Um, now, you, you know, you, the, the sales pitch would argue, right, okay, you start to then do some more conditioning to educate that organisation about what you do and ultimately it will come good. Um, that's kind of a big if, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and I think that that that's the that's the challenge that we found with it, which was we couldn't get down to that granular level of detail. Um, so it may work for organisations where you've got a single buyer. 
Yeah, I, mean, I find intent data also throws up loads of false positives. I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's our experience of it, that just because someone's searching for prototyping doesn't mean they want a prototype. No. They could be looking for a manual on prototyping or a book on prototyping yeah. or a job in prototyping yeah. or in anything in prototyping, frankly. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I get that. But you guys have found a better way of using technology to improve your um, conversions. Yes. Yeah. So, so we, we've also then started to look at um, basically um, we get a lot of customers come onto our platform that will just ask for a quote. And they, because of the way our platform works is we, we provide, yeah, I know it sounds cliched, free quotes. Um, but, you know, so we provide a quote back on, on what they, they, um, they can produce. Um, now, you know, what we, we were then seeing is how do we get that audience to convert quicker for us? Because they've been given a quote, so we know there's an intent uh, from that point of view. And how can we use technology to try and you know, assist in that process? Um, so we've, we've, um, we've engaged with a, another AI tool, which is actually email-based, which then stimulates the conversation with the customer which is I noticed you've, you've received a quote, is there anything we can help you with? Or to try and drive them towards actually getting them to convert um, or take a call uh, from our sales team. Um, it works in, uh, where are we? We've got it running in four languages. Okay. Um, we had one instance where we had a design engineer sitting in Germany. Um, AI agent reached out to this individual in, Ger in German, obviously. Uh, the guy replied back um, in half German, half English which was basically, I've just moved to Munich. Um, do you mind if we uh, continue in English? Um, the AI, AI agent recognised that and replied back, resulted in a call and resulted in a, in a conversion. Did the AI, um, AI agent also reply back half German, half English? Uh, just replied back in English. <laughs> okay. So, so for, But I think the, the beauty of it is, and going back to that earlier point as well, Don, where you know, we're looking at saying, right, okay, how can we start to automate some of that yeah. that process for yeah. us? We're then getting you know, more assistance into the sales queue because what we are then providing into sales are um, your more highly qualified MQLs. Yeah. So you're, you're moving away from, well, we've just created a list of people that have randomly hovered over our website and we give that to sales to follow up. Yeah, there's no interest yeah. there. All the way into right, this customer has said they want a call because of this interaction. So yeah. you're going through that qualification process, and for us, it works. Is there a percentage percentage kind of transformation in terms of where that sits? How how much converts from that? From the ones that then come through uh, from the agent, we've seen a three to one conversion. Wow. Okay. Hell, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's it's been fantastic for us. So you must have some good behavioural e economists working on your team because <laughs> that kind of I mean. Automation done clumsily is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And that, you know, actually my favorite one, what I get all the time is, this is the last time I'll write to you. And <laughs> what, what, they're trying to nudge me into doing something, but actually I'm thinking, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Samantha, you, I mean, you, you know, you, you guys work with kind of behavioral um, nudges and stuff all the we time. Do. And automation. Like advice for people listening to this. Mm. How do you go about doing automation that works? I think that's really complicated in that, again, I think the answer to that is audience fundamentally. I think that one of the, something that is annoying to you, Dom, like I'm going to stop writing to you now for someone else is like deeply emotional and they feel very moved yeah. by that. And they're going to write back, please, please Autobot, don't stop talking to me. <laughs> and so I think that fundamentally, if you, you know, you understand your audience well, then automation is 
a tool in a toolbox as opposed to the answer to everything. And so how you do it well really is fundamentally about understanding your brand, I think. Yeah, and I'd also um, state you, these things don't work out of the box. You know, so for the AI... You try, element, don't yeah, you? <laughs> you train it. Okay. Yeah. You basically train it and it's got certain skills okay. and you build up the skill profile. So again, from the, the learning point of view... Um, and for any you know, salespeople from a tech company listening, um, you know, there's a recognition in the marketing, marketing community that these things, you know, we're not fools in terms of what we're going to get sold to. Uh, we want something that works and we want something that integrates seamlessly as well. Um, so I think there's, there's that point as well that you know, there's that, that point of from the sales process to go live what's the the time scale yeah and that learning that the organization goes through and also you know we 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 yeah we we've had bumps in the road we've had bumps in the road where you know the agent has communicated with somebody and they were on the do not email list um all of those sorts of things as well so and then that causes much excitement in the business and everybody says the agent shit get rid of it and you you look at it and go well that's one reply out of mm-hmm. 50 yeah. for the week it's lucky that you have that cue, isn't it, where you've got a kind of the free quote component because yeah. that immediately moves you to a different cycle in the behavioural kind of process, yeah. which that nudge behaviour, it gives you so much data to work with then that then must the AI must be re- really learning quickly off the back of, okay, a quote's given, then we have these many interactions. How many touch points is it before we actually convert someone? What does that look like? Yeah. How are they interacting with it? And that you, you're, you've got a lot of nice data to play with there. But is it sometimes too much? data yes it is yeah Yeah. so i think um your summary there samantha is um is academically correct you know we've got elements of those data those touch points so are we able to look at every single interaction that we've got with the customer yes we can get to that do we review that continually you'd you'd be you'd be constantly i'd be in a data you know i'd I'd have an army of people because you even when we've done some journey mapping you, you look at the uh, the thing you go through with the customer journey, customer first came to us through SEO and then all orders, and then next time they come around, they click the bloody PPC ad. Yeah. And yeah. you're going... Yeah. How do they do that? What, 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 yeah, they're diversifying no, themselves. Yeah, exactly. You're just making me pay for There's you. There's nothing like, stranger than customers. Yeah, yeah, and th- th- those sorts of points as well. So the important thing as well with that example is, well, okay, what did you learn from that? Yeah. that That's the key thing. And that's, I think, the difficulty that we've all got in marketing in role, marketing roles, which is how do you learn from the data that you're seeing? What are you going to do with that data? As opposed to, ta-da, here's the... Yeah the spread of data, this is what's happened over this week. Right, what are we going to do? And that, I think, is really where the behavioural and the human analytical component comes in. And I think yeah, adds a new di- yeah. dimension that, that AI, as of yet, is not uh, able to yeah. add. Yeah, and I think the other point is as well, you know, certainly for us, which is because we're e-commerce driven, um, our direct engagement with the customer can be um, the touch point can be slightly removed so actually doing more customer insight mm. understanding you know the journey that the customer went through to actually well, what was your search journey what did you do before you got to us yeah um understanding that and you know, we were doing focus groups just before lockdown to try and get into that that mode uh in more detail you know, we've now started to do more of that you know, across europe yeah because again um the added challenges um, and this is the you know, really unique thing when you look at the European market, um, is if we send a short email to a German customer, 
compared to a long email, the long email performs better than the short email. Amazing. I because love they, behavior. Yeah, that, that, that te- they, they want more of the detail. Yeah. Um, so, um, and they don't want to be sold to. Whereas you, you take it with a UK customer. Short, concise. Exactly. Yeah. You, you've got your A-B test. The, the short one's winning. Yeah. Um, so again, I think it's... It makes your life more difficult, doesn't it? Well, it, well, it, 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 it makes it more exciting. And more exciting. Um, <laughs> but I think it's that learning that you go through continually. Yeah. Thank you. Well, look, time's marching on. I want to do a quick fire question again now. You may not want to answer this, but I'm going to ask it you anyway, because we've talked about AI, automation, customer journey, mapping and integration. What, what's your tech stack? So we'll go from, we've got engagement with Google in terms of PPC, yeah, that level. We've got yeah, standard CRM tools uh, that we're using um, in terms of management there. We've got also optimization tools that we're looking with, uh, with Google. So um, Moz, um, and yeah, some SEO performance tracking tools. We've then got um, AI um, sitting in the uh, the sales queue as well. Um, and uh, we've then got reporting uh, with Domo. So we, we're a Domo house in terms of our reporting engine. And if there's one piece of marketing technology that you were going to recommend to listeners who maybe are not very technologically advanced, where, what would it be and where would you start? I would, I, I would explore the AI, the AI piece. Okay. Wow. Um, wow. C- certainly, I've been amazed Okay, um, and I think our own organisation has been, um, you know, really it's opened our eyes up um, to how advanced the technology is, and also um, how you can apply it. Um, and the final point is, I've got sales agents sitting in my con- in the country, so I've got four sa- four sales agents. They're part of my sales team, and they've all got names. So I've got Matthew, Simona, Nicole, and um, Ashley. Okay. Amazing. Um, and yeah, you know, they're they're part of the team. Wow. Um, so it is. It's incredible. So I, I would explore that further for yeah you know, somebody that's looking at this space that's got a transactional element to their sales process. Brilliant. Well, that well, I can't believe that for more than forty minutes has shot by since we started talking. But Peter, thank you very much indeed for coming to join us. It's been really Cheers, interesting. Thank you. Thanks, and, thank um, you. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll we look forward to getting you back when you guys reach the two billion. <laughs> good stuff won't be long <laughs> thank you amazing it's really exciting to get such an internal view of what's going on with the business that you don't necessarily know kind of how big their spend is or what their different things they're trying i was so impressed by i mean their their deck their stack tech stack terrifies me yeah and it was really i mean peter went into really some some good detail there about a lot of stuff um uh, it's hard knowing where to start, but something that really, really jumped out at me um, was his advice if you, when you arrive in an organisation or if you need to change what you're doing. Yeah. And it sounds really obvious, but sometimes when you're faced with these things, you don't think about it. So step one is understand where you are. Yeah, take a look around you, get to grips with what's there in existence and don't rush in, I think, was something he was saying, wasn't he? You can't change everything overnight. Test and learn was clearly a big part of what they do. Yeah, so step one, understand where you are. And then two, and again, it sounds so bloody obvious, but a lot of people don't do it. Analyze where your fastest converting opportunities are, which which is exactly what he did. Yeah, absolutely. And then understand how how and why that is. And it's really interesting to see if they're doing anything different with those sectors or if it's the same marketing activity that's just converting faster and really understanding the why, I think, then gets them to how they're using things like AI to be impactful. Yeah, and so... You know, time, I, he, he mentioned those things at the beginning and then right at the end, he came out with a really great, great concept, which is, you know, the challenge of marketing is 
It's how do you learn from your data? 100%. And I think that's something that is absolutely terrifying for marketing professionals at the moment because they're constantly being told measure, measure, measure. We're absolutely inundated with data. But if there's not a kind of through line in the data that you're looking for, if there's not a narrative to overlay it, it's just a lot of numbers that nobody knows really what to do with. And that's the difference between information and insight, I guess. To get insight, you have to be able to understand what's going on. Um, and which brings us to correlation and causation and all those other. And I love the fact that they are still using human beings to do that, because from my perspective, that really is the right choice. But that's really interesting because they're obviously very advanced with their use of AI. So the fact that they've got that human level to analyze the data and pull out the insights and give them the why, I think says a lot for the way you blend the two. I think that's interesting because I, I used to do a lot of work for an SME and they had one of these pieces of, um, I don't know what you even call it, it's not middleware, but you know, it sits between you and, and Google ads and, and it's meant to optimize and automatically bid for you. And, you know, if you want to be average, it's great because yeah. it will average everything out brilliantly. And yeah. I get the point using humans. I mean, a lot, a lot, not a lot of companies, I think, have the resource to be able to do that. No. But, but by the sound of it, from what Peter's saying, actually, maybe that's a false saving. And I think that does seem like the case, right? I mean, it's a really strange situation where you've got him talking about his AI like they're members of his team, but also using human beings to do something most people would try and use some kind of middleware to do. It's it's clearly something that they've tested and learned and learned how to work with so that it suits their needs, which I think is the key takeaway for marketeers. Cool. There's one other thing that struck me in this. You've already given the key takeaway. So so this is this is an interesting one. We talked about ABM. You talked about ABM. You introduced ABM. I, and, and, obvi- we, we, and obviously, it's a hot topic for us, you know, it, as an organization. Is. It's a hot topic in B2B. Um, he said, in ABM, or it works where you're strategically important. Mm, it's a really interesting it point, is, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So, so if you talk to a lot of ABMers, they talk about ticket price. Yep. They don't necessarily talk about how important you are to the organization. And I thought that was a really interesting clarification because, you know, the ticket price actually, it depends on how big your target customer is. So £250,000 is a ticket price to a global market leader. Yeah, exactly. It's probably too low a ticket price to have the attention of anyone strategically. Whereas, you know, um, whereas for a small company, of course, you may end up being their biggest supplier. So, so I thought that was a really interesting observation that, that you know, ABMers would be good to take note of. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it, it talks about that whole flow of communications working together, doesn't it? No individual discipline is going to solve the problem as opposed to a really carefully connected set of different things coming together to give you a 360 picture, which clearly they are doing a great job of doing. So, so I, look, you gave us our key takeaway. Then I said there was going to be one more thing. Actually, yeah. I'm going to do one more as well. Okay. Because this one's really important and it strikes to the heart of who we are, which is that whole balancing utility and magic, building brand for the long term and driving performance in the short term. And in consultancy, this must be something you see all the time. What What is the silver bullet? I think that absolutely is a silver bullet in that it's about understanding your organization and your audience and really appreciating that they are very cyclical and you have moments where you have to be driving brand awareness much harder and you have moments where you have to be driving kind of direct sales. Obviously, those two channels need to run together all of the time. And I naturally, as a brand specialist, will lean towards putting more money into brand. But the reality is you can't neglect one child and overfeed the other and have a healthy family. Well, you know what? On that note, Samantha, I think it's time we end. Thank you very much indeed for listening, everybody. And we will see you next time on Unicorny. Thank you.
that is the end of today's show if you would like to subscribe to us please do go to your favorite podcast outlet and you will find us there if you want to be on the show my name is dom Hawes. look me up on linkedin connect and i would love to talk to you this show is put together by selby anderson we find and unlock hidden value and the show is recorded at turnmill studios which you can find at turnmillstudios.co.uk see you next time This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.